0: Welcome to the show, everybody. Today, we are back to talking about health and fitness, and specifically a topic that many, many people are going to find uh very interesting and are going to have more application for uh very shortly because we're kind of in an interesting place right now in health and fitness where we're having more and more you know sort of tech gadgets that uh, we can use to evaluate our metabolism. And we're going to be talking about one of those tech gadgets today. And these are continuous glucose monitors, oftentimes uh, denoted by their abbreviation, CGMs. So these CGMs, continuous glucose monitors. I'm not going to be talking about uh, particular brands, although I will mention uh, the two that uh, I know and use. Uh, One is called the Dexcom monitor, and the other one is the one that I use called the Libre Freestyle CGM, continuous glucose monitor. And a continuous glucose monitor is essentially a monitor that has a little probe that you actually put into the skin. In the case of the Dexcom, it usually goes around the belly. In the case of the Libre, it goes uh, on the tricep. And so if you see the back of the arm, the tricep, so if you see people with this little white uh, sort of uh, emblem on the back of their arm, this little piece of plastic on the back of their arm or on a body part that looks sort of like the bionic man or something like that, it usually is a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. These things are becoming more and more available to us. Right now, they are uh, available by prescription. If you want to get one and... uh, Want to go through me and my office? That's absolutely fine. We're in California. I can help you uh, get one. You just uh, email support at com. You also can just ask your uh, local pharmacist or your physician. Most of these have to be prescribed. So let's get into exactly what a CGM monitor is doing. First, let's cover some of the basics around blood sugar in particular. Now, when we're talking about blood sugar, what ends up happening is when you eat any kind of carbohydrate, uh, any kind of starch or sugar, it is all broken down into glucose in the body. And then we can measure that glucose in the blood, which we call blood sugar. So as far as your body's concerned... It does not matter if this is starch from bread or pasta or potato or whether this is simple sugars like sucrose table sugar or uh, something from a cookie or something like that. It all gets broken down into glucose in the body and is uh, essentially measured as blood glucose. Now, there's one caveat to this because there is one other monosaccharide, fructose, that is not picked up through continuous glucose monitoring. And so you can have high blood fructose levels and not necessarily see your blood glucose levels go up, your blood sugar levels go up. We're going to focus primarily on blood sugar in this particular show. So ultimately, what is the purpose of blood sugar? Well, this sugar is floating around in the blood so that tissues like muscles can suck it up for energy when needed and use it for energy. It's the same reason why your body has fats floating around in the blood and even proteins floating around in the blood. And actually, these are always kind of measured in the standard blood labs that your doctor will do. So you'll get a blood glucose. That's your blood sugar. You'll get triglycerides. That's your blood fats. And it will also measure things like globulin and albumin, which is a measure of Uh, amino acids or proteins in the blood. And so when you're doing standard blood tests, you're picking up these values of macronutrients floating around in your blood, and it's there to provide energy. Now, blood sugar is an interesting piece of this because the body, like most things, does not like to have too much or too little. The brain has to use blood sugar. It cannot burn fat it only burns sugar. It can use fat to make ketones and then use those ketones for energy, but the brain needs a constant supply of blood sugar, and so do a few other areas of the body. Now, when blood sugar gets too low, the brain is essentially going to die, so you do not want that to happen. When blood sugar gets too high, the same thing can happen. Uh, You can go into a high blood sugar-induced coma you do not want these things to go too high so the body likes them in the goldilocks zone and the healthy sort of resting levels for blood sugar in a healthy individual are going to vary but typically we we tend to think about 60 to 100 usually somewhere in the 70s or 80s as being fasting blood sugars these are the blood sugars that you should have when you are without food for a night let's say for anywhere from 8 To 12 hours, your blood sugars fasting without eating should be around that number. Now, if they go too low, can they go too low? Certainly, there's people who I've seen with very low blood sugars, uh, you know, even in the 40s and 50s, who are on keto diets. And the reason their blood sugars can go that low typically is because they're running off of ketones. Uh, But in general, you don't want those levels to go that low. If they're gonna be low, uh, you want ketones available. As well. Now, if they go high, typically after a meal, most individuals will not see their blood sugars go much above 200. In fact, if the blood sugars go way above 200 or above 200, this is an indication that that particular person is uh, diabetic in a sense. And so we want this fasting ratio of blood sugar to be somewhere around 60 to 100. And then we want it to be, uh, you know, between 100 and 200 relative to eating meals. And so it will spike a little bit and then come back down. Now, what these continuous glucose monitors are doing is they are essentially sampling the blood every few minutes or so, registering the blood sugar level on a chip, and then when you go to read that number – on your phone, there's apps on your phone or uh, through another device that picks up that chip and then it will tell you and fill in all the gaps. So it used to be that if we're just doing a standard blood sugar prick, finger stick, we have to do a ton of them to get a curve. But if we do one at 2 p.m., let's say, and then another one at 2.30, we don't know uh, what it was doing between in that 30 minutes. And certainly if we have... Go all day, we might see that, oh, we were normal in the morning and we were normal at night, but we not might not see these huge spikes that happen during the day, or likewise, if we do a fasting sugar in the morning, wouldn't it be nice to be able to see what our blood sugars were doing at night? Well, this is what the cgms these continuous glucose monitors are doing they are allowing us to see what our blood sugars are doing at all points, and then we're able to make determinations about how healthy our metabolism is, how flexible our metabolism is. And I'll give you some really interesting clinical pearls on myself and uh, clients that I have worked with with continuous glucose monitors. They can be highly impactful and tell you things about like, How are you responding to stress with your blood sugars? And how are you responding to food with your blood sugars? And how does exercise impact you? And how do certain supplements that purportedly help with blood sugar balance work for you versus someone else? So let's get into some of the science behind this. First of all, there are several hormones that regulate blood sugar. Primarily insulin, which is the only one that really lowers blood sugar. And insulin essentially does that by signaling the cells to express glucose receptors to take in glucose. So insulin is a blood sugar lowering hormone. Now insulin is balanced by other blood raising, uh, blood sugar raising hormones like glucagon and adre- adrenaline slash epinephrine or noradrenaline slash norepinephrine. So. Uh, These things will raise blood sugar. Now, isn't it interesting, right away you get a hint in terms of how the metabolism evolved. We have several different hormones which raise blood sugar and only one that lowers it, which tells you whenever you see redundancy in the metabolism, that kind of tells you what was more important. What was probably more important for our ancestors is the ability to raise blood sugar levels and probably the propensity to have low blood sugar on average and maybe higher ketones versus having very high blood sugars. If if our ancestors were walking around with very high blood sugars all the time, we would probably have redundancy in the hormones that lower blood sugar. We don't. We have redundancy in the hormones that raise blood sugar. Now, how are these hormones raising blood sugar? Well, glucagon, adrenaline, Epinephrine, adrenaline if you're in Europe, epinephrine if you're in the United States. These hormones will raise blood sugar, and they do that by essentially acting at the level of the liver and saying, hey, liver, release some glycogen, and hey, liver, let's make some glucose from uh, amino acids, from gluconeogenic amino acids. And so they basically raise blood sugar by breaking down glycogen, human starch, basically, that we store in our liver. And this is useful to know. We store starch, what we call glycogen, in our liver and in our muscles, but we can only access that glycogen from the liver. The glycogen that's in the muscles, what we believe is that it is only used for the muscle. It's not released into the bloodstream. Whereas the glycogen or starch that's stored in the liver is directly used in the bloodstream, right? And so, When we have insulin, insulin actually will say, hey, don't break down any glycogen. In fact, make some glycogen. And two, don't do any gluconeogenesis, new making of sugar, because we have enough. Now, when you start to become insulin resistant at the level of the liver, what happens is those liver cells never get the message that there's all this blood sugar around. And so it will continue to break down glycogen and continue to make uh, sugar through gluconeogenesis, right? So this is part of the problem. So I want to say this one more time because it's very, very important. One, we have hormones like adrenaline, which is a stress hormone and a hormone like cortisol, which is a stress hormone, which can raise blood sugar. It does that by breaking down, causing the liver to break down glycogen and release it as glucose and, or causing the liver to make new glucose from gluconeogenic amino acids and glycerol from fats. Okay, So this is what's happening there. Then we have insulin that lowers blood sugar. However, if you become insulin-resistant at the level of the liver, and you can become insulin-resistant at many different tissue levels, I did an entire podcast on that. If you want to go back and look in the archives, you can see, and this will go nicely. I don't know exactly what um, issue that was, uh, what podcast issue that was, but it will go nicely with this one. We have to understand that insulin can be resistant in many tissues, and when you become resistant to insulin at the level of the liver, the liver will continue to dump glucose even after you've eaten sugar. This is the problem, and this can cause blood sugars to go very high and or stay high. So if you understand this, you start understanding how to use these continuous glucose monitors. You can actually begin to see, perhaps, where you are insulin resistant? Are you insulin resistant at the level of the liver, meaning you're getting huge blood sugar spikes after you eat because you're getting the glucose from the foods you ate plus the release of extra glycogen, glucose, and gluconeogenesis from the liver, and/or are you not lowering uh, glucose later because your muscles are insulin resistant and therefore can't pull the sugar that you ate out of Your system, and you can actually look at the different CGM curves, the continuous glucose monitor curves, and see which is which. Now, if this is all brand new to you, it's probably a little bit confusing right now, so let's walk through an example of this. What you'll typically do is wake up in the morning, and if you had an old fashioned blood sugar monitor, you'll stick your finger and you'll get a blood glucose reading. If you're healthy and optimal, it's going to be somewhere between 60 and 100 that fasting blood sugar reading. If you're in the pre-diabetic ranges, it's going to be somewhere between 100, let's say, and 120-something. Now, if it's above 126 on two separate occasions fasting, that is diagnostic for diabetes. So we tend to say that you're having dysglycemia or pre-diabetes when you're between 100 and 126. You're normal when you're below 100 and Uh, above around 60. Now, can it go lower than that? Yes, in some cases it can, and people can be just fine so long as they're creating ketones. But this is the first thing that you want to look at. You want to look at fasting blood sugar levels. Now, if you're above 100, what does that tell you? What it tells you is you're probably resistant to insulin at the level of the liver. In other words, your liver is continuing to release some blood sugar Or it's telling you you are hyperreactive to stress hormones. Some people wake up in the morning. They do not eat. They are sensitive to insulin in the liver, but they're releasing too much cortisol and or adrenaline and or glucagon, and that is causing the liver to dump out glucose. So you can become insulin resistant as a result of too much sugar, but you can also have what looks like insulin resistance if you have too many of these stress hormones. And by the way, cortisol is notorious. Very high cortisol levels are notorious for causing insulin resistance as well. So this is why I sometimes like to say you can eat your way into insulin resistance or you can stress your way into insulin resistance. But the point is, at this first moment when you wake up, you're going to want to take your blood sugar reading, whether it's a traditional finger stick or whether you're using a CGM monitor to get your initial blood sugar value. Now, if you're using this CGM monitor that we're talking about, you'll also see what was going on with your blood sugar all night long. What if you're seeing spikes in the middle of the night? Well, that is telling you that your liver is releasing blood sugar and or your your adrenal glands are kicking out adrenaline and or cortisol to raise blood sugar because you're under stress. This happens oftentimes with people with sleep apnea, which I also suffer from. At times when I'm not eating too well, I'll get apneic and my snoring will go up. And I'll see in the middle of the night sharp spikes in blood sugar sometimes as a result of this. And that makes sense if you're choking all night and you release adrenaline and noradrenaline to wake you up so you can get oxygen. What are you going to see with your blood sugar levels? They're going to kind of spike there. So it's an indication perhaps of sleep apnea in some people or simply insulin resistance at the level of the liver. So, you want to look at what that fasting level is because that fasting level can tell you how healthy the liver response is to insulin. How well is your, your liver responding to low glucose when you're uh, at night? And is it overcompensating? And how is it responding when you eat certain foods? So, that is very important. If your blood sugar is in the pre diabetic range or the diabetic range, that means your liver is insulin resistant. It is not getting the signal, so it keeps pumping out sugar. So it starts out higher than it should be. Or in some people, it's simply a matter of high-stress hormone production leading to uh, this state where the blood sugar is a little bit high. And by the way, if you are one of those people, what you'll find is oftentimes these people – uh, will fast. And fasting can artificially raise blood sugar. And you'll have some people to say, you know, I was fasting and my fasting blood sugars got, when I was doing intermittent fasting, my fasting blood sugars got worse and my hemoglobin A1c, a measure of what your bl- average blood sugars over the last three months or so, uh, w- went up a little bit. Why is that? Those are people that it's a good indication that they should probably have breakfast in the morning because they're hyper responders to stress hormones. So this is important to understand. Right away, the CGM, the continuous glucose monitor, will tell you this without a finger stick because you only do the stick once, right? Like right now, if you're watching this on the video, you can see I have this CGM on. So I'm just kind of pointing it out. Hopefully you can see that. And all I have to do is take my phone, touch it here, and I'll get a reading for that. So uh, that's an important piece of the puzzle here. And it will also fill in all the, the hours Uh, previous that I didn't get that. So I'll be able to see what it's been for the last four hours, what my blood sugar has been doing. Now, what you then want to do is every single time you eat, you want to take a blood sugar right before you eat and then take another blood sugar at 30, 60, and 90 minutes after that. Now, obviously, if you're dealing with a traditional finger stick, you'll have to stick your finger each time. If you're dealing with the continuous glucose monitor, you really could wait till 90 minutes after and then check and be able to see what has happened to your blood sugar levels. Now, this will be the most important part. How do you read what's going on with your blood sugars? Well, a healthy blood sugar is going to go up in response to food and then come down. And so when you look at it on the continuous glucose monitor map, you'll see sharp peaks like mountain peaks, sharp up sharp down. What you won't see is this sort of plateau. So the more you see plateaus in blood sugar where they go up and stay up for long periods of time, that's an indication of insulin resistance at the level of the muscle tissue, right? The higher it goes and the higher it starts is an indication of insulin resistance at the level of the liver. And the longer it stays up, is an indication of muscle insulin resistance. Why is that? Because muscle is the primary thing that pulls glucose out of the blood. The muscle is. This is why oftentimes one of the best things you can do if you're pre-diabetic or diabetic is just move more, walking. Not necessarily exercise, but walking more. And so the point of the CGMs, these continuous glucose monitors, is to be able to easily see what is going on fasting after an overnight fast, and then what is going on before 30, 60, and 90 minutes after eating? Then you can begin to adjust the macronutrients and begin to say, okay, well, if I go only fat and protein, what does that do to my blood sugars? How high do my blood sugars go? How fast do they come back down? Now, ideally, what you'd want to see is blood sugar excursion, And that basically means from where it starts to where it goes is being relatively low. You would love to see it stay in a very healthy range. You really don't want your blood sugars to go super high. The higher they go, the more uh, indication that is that your liver is having difficult time responding to insulin. So if my blood sugar starts at 110 in the morning and then spikes up to near 200 when I have a meal with sugar in it, that's an indication that I am insulin resistant or beginning to be insulin resistant at the level of the liver. Now, if it comes crashing right back down, that would tell me that I, my muscle insulin sensitivity is pretty good. But what if it stays up for a long period of time and I have this long plateau before it comes down? That would also tell me that my muscle is not responding appropriately to blood sugars either, that I'm insulin resistant in both. And this is important because diabetes... Progressing from pre-diabetes to diabetes has basically both of those things happening, insulin resistant at the level of the liver and insulin resistant at the level of the muscle. And what you'll see is these very high levels of blood sugar starting high, and then whenever you eat, they go high and they plateau. Now, then we have to use drugs like metformin or even insulin to push those values back down. Now, there are a lot of natural things we can do, so let's go through this, and this is why the CGMs are so critical because a lot of these natural things are variable from person to person. One of the things I saw in my clinical practice is that you do one thing, maybe I give berberine and have people walk a lot, and then you see that it had a great effect on one person and not a great effect on another. And so with these CGMs, we can actually tailor our treatments. And I'll use myself as an example. I'm someone who runs in pre-diabetic ranges with my blood sugars. I am, even though this is my specialty, I'm a case that confuses myself a little bit. I tend to, when I fast sometimes, which I do do a lot of intermittent fasting, when I fast, my blood sugars will sometimes be worse as a result of stress hormone output adrenaline, and cortisol. Part of this, I think, is due to my long-standing undergrad as bartending and basically living the vampire lifestyle. I did some damage to my metabolism. I also have hypothyroid, which is involved with allowing cells to take up glucose. And so this would make some sense for me uh, relative to my uh, metabolism. So I will have these Pre sort of diabetic ranges. Now, one of the things that I've noticed is that walking is good um, and I'll rank these for myself. Walking is good, but it's not great. Berberine can work for me, but it's not great. But I discovered two things quite by accident that were highly powerful for me in lowering my blood sugars and keeping them balanced. One was very high-intensity leg training. I discovered this by having my blood sugars be all over the place in 2020, and I was without my gym and wasn't doing a lot of squats or heavy leg work uh, due to uh, COVID and just the situation that we've all been in. I was doing other types of things, more cardio-oriented things and more lighter metabolic conditioning. Once I started doing leg training again, I was all of a sudden seeing that for three days after that leg training, after heavy squats and heavy leg work, my blood sugars were relatively perfect. I've also noticed that when I supplement with magnesium, which is not normally magnesium is known to help with blood sugars. Just not normally the thing that we oftentimes think of. But for me, it's absolutely critical for me. When I'm supplementing with magnesium, magnesium seems to be the most powerful supplement for me in lowering my. Blood sugar, whereas for other people, I've seen it be berberine or things like alpha lipoic acid, which can be hypoglycemic in its effects. Uh, but for me, magnesium and leg training seem to be the thing. I've also noticed that super high intensity training you'll notice this with yourself too is that when I train uh, with super high intensity interval training and things like that, I will see my blood sugars sp- uh, spike. To the same degree that a high sugar meal would make them spike, almost up above the one fifties to one sixties sometimes, and so I have to be very careful to look at that. And then, uh, and by the way, you might say, "Well, Jade, is there a problem with your blood sugar spiking like that?" Uh, not necessarily. Obviously, when you're doing high intensity interval training and high intensity workouts, the body likes to use glucose, and so I have a very, I think, sharp and a uh, sort of refined and sensitive adrenaline response, uh, in terms of, uh, stress hormone response, uh, in relation to exercise. So I think I get this big kickoff of glucose. Then I use it in the workout. Then it stays high for a while. Now, what I've noticed is that if I don't go for a walk or something like that, it can stay high and plateau for a while. What we want is to see it spike for the workout Come right back down into normal zones. Spike for the workout. Come back down into normal zones. This is the healthy response. What I have discovered for myself is that magnesium and high intensity or high, uh, high volume weight training for the legs is the most critical thing for me in particular. Now, it may be different for you. Some of the things that I have seen be very effective with people and uh, are going to be in the natural world are going to be berberine, alpha-lipoic acid, magnesium is a big one, chromium can have an effect, high-fiber, low-sugar, low-glycemic index diets, low-carb low, low carb diets can be highly effective. And this brings me to another thing when you're monitoring blood sugars. Soon, hopefully these CGMs will also will have uh, – CKMs, continuous uh, ketone monitoring as well to go right alongside glucose monitoring. And CIMs, Continuous Insulin Monitoring. Now, these are not available yet, but wouldn't it be nice to have the technology, and we probably will soon, to not just test glucose, but to also see what insulin did and what ketones are doing as well, so we can see those three things together and really get a glucose curve, an insulin curve, and a ketone curve. So hopefully if there's any uh, tech people here that work in this field, hopefully you're putting these things together for us. But that's the tool that I would love to have for myself and my clients because obviously you can eat carbohydrate and or you can eat protein and carbs release insulin. And that comes along with high insulin and high glucose. But protein also releases insulin. And usually that will be high insulin and high amino acids. Well, those two things are two different things. High insulin with high amino acids is very different than high insulin with high glucose. And we would be able to potentially see this where we're like, oh, well, glucose is low, but insulin is spiked a little bit. And that would tell us a little something about that. But for now, all we have is the continuous glucose Monitoring and it is a highly impactful tool to individualize your uh, metabolic understanding, right like basically seeing how does Jade uh, respond to stress, how does Jade respond to carbohydrates, to fats to protein intake, to the combination of these how does he respond to Meditation versus walking versus high-intensity interval training versus traditional weight training versus berberine versus magnesium versus all these other things. And I can begin to put together a very useful individualized approach supplement-wise, lifestyle-wise, exercise-wise, movement-wise that is tailored to Tita as a result of looking at CGM, continuous glucose monitoring, because glucose is such a good indicator of what is going on. In the metabolism, how stressed out is the metabolism? How well is it using its fuels? Uh, All of that kind of stuff. So I'm going to end the podcast here. I wanted you to be aware of CGMs and to begin to hear this uh, technology. And I realize what we're talking about on this episode is a very, very technical uh, discussion. So go and find the episode. And actually, why don't I do it for you since I'm online right now? I'm just going to go on here and search on Google. Um, Let's see. Next level human podcast insulin. And let's see if I can tell you right now. Uh, It was episode 29. So in addition to this podcast episode, go listen to episode 29, uh, on the Next Level Human podcast. And these two together will give you an awful lot of information about insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity and also measuring this stuff more effectively through continuous glucose monitoring. Okay, hope that was useful for you all, and I will see you at the next episode. Please do me a favor and go and rate the podcast. I would love to also get DMs from all of you. I get them. I read them. I oftentimes respond as much as I can. Tell me the episodes that you want uh, me to do. Tell me what you liked or didn't like about this one, and we'll see if we can get you some more content you love for future episodes. All right, we'll talk to you at the next show.